The text for our sermon this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 64, the first nine verses. Oh, that you would run to the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies, to cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come, to help of the, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. You have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Grace to and peace from God our Father from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Where was he? Where was God when they needed him at that moment? The, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken away into captivity, and the southern kingdom of Judah was not far behind. Foreigners had come into the temple, desecrating it, and Isaiah had actually just foretold the destruction of Jerusalem. Where was he? Isaiah takes up in our text this cry of help that really all the people should have been shouting with him. It was a plea to God to come and do what he does, to rescue his people from their enemies. He calls on God to rend the heavens and come down with such fiery anger, he compares the fire that burns sticks and boils water as he comes down and makes the mountains even tremble before him, the most solid foundations that there are in this world. Come and help us, Lord. Deliver us as you have in the past. Take vengeance on our enemies so that your name might be known to them, just like you have done to the rest of the world as you have delivered your people. Where was he? God is all they had. God was all that they had. The only one that could deliver them from their enemies the way that they needed. They didn't have any other options for help at this point. Now, they should have known that. Isaiah certainly knew it as he called on God. And so he did. He calls on the God of grace who delivered them in the past. The God who made the Jews his covenant people. And who has protected them for the sake of the promise all the way up until now. A God who has done things in the past that nobody has ever seen before. From any other God that has ever been in this world. And you did awesome things we didn't expect. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, and no eye has seen any God besides you. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. 
There is no God as real as the God of Israel, the one true saving God who made his name known to the nations. He did it when he sent the plagues on Egypt. He, he said, I'm going to show them, Moses, who I am, that I am the one true God as I send these plagues on them and have them release my people. He did it when he had Moses split the waters of the Red Sea so that the Jews could walk across on dry ground while at the same time crushing and destroying the most powerful army, army at that time as he brought the waters in on them. This was the same God who fought for his people in the wilderness as they fought the Amalekites, giving them strength as he had people hold up Moses' staff in his hands. The people who he helped fight when they got into the promised land, they went around the city of Jericho and they didn't even have to do anything to destroy the walls except walk around it and shout. This is the same God who helped them fight as he held the sun still in the sky for a whole day so that Joshua and his armies could defeat those people in the promised land and take it from them. This is the same God who gave them that land flowing with milk and honey, which you, if I hope you remember from our service last Wednesday as it, how it's described in Ezekiel there. This is the God that Isaiah calls on. The God who comes to the aid of his people, those who gladly do right and remember the Lord's ways. But, Isaiah says, when we continue to sin against them, against your ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? Lord, how on earth can we be saved? You know, Isaiah knew that he was calling on God, but he recognized that the people had messed this up. He recognized that God was punishing the people and disciplining the people for their sins. Sins that they had persisted in, that he had told them to stop. Sins that he had warned them against. Sins that he knew they would fall into if they didn't get rid of all the nations around them in the promised land when they went in, which they didn't do like they were supposed to. So how then, Lord, if, if we're persistent in our sin, can we be saved? As Israel's spiritual life just dwindled and decayed, God became angry. If God were to rend the heavens and come down on the nations at this point, just like Isaiah had asked, what do you think he'd say to his people? There's not much more he'd say to them than what he'd already said. To tell them that this is what I told you would happen, to tell you that this is a serious thing, that sinning against me and my ways and my laws and sinning against the one who has provided all these things for you, doesn't end well, and I told you that. Maybe the Lord coming down and rending the heavens and coming down at this point isn't so great because if he's supposed to come down and make his no great among those who are against him, every sinner is against the Lord. At this point, the Jews really are no different. Israel's right there with them. And so if God came down with that heated vengeance against his enemies, what do you think that would look like for the Jews at this point? Because he can do much worse than send his people into exile in Babylon. That's nothing compared to what the Lord can do for those who do not do right, who are not righteous before him. Israel has always been a picture of the church. And so we ask ourselves, where is he? 
Where is God? Because our troubles and our enemies and our pain seem to persist day after day after day. And we want help, no? And maybe you feel like Isaiah as you plead to the Lord often, looking for help, looking to the same God who has helped his people all through history as the God of free and faithful grace, time and time again. Have you often heard too or even said the sooner he comes back the better and in some ways yes and you know what he is going to come we don't know when Jesus made that quite clear but one day he will come he's going to come in power he's going to come in glory with a trumpet sound he's going to come with thousands and thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels to bring his people back with him and every sea and mountain at that point will tremble before him Every being in the world will at that point have to recognize who he is and worship him as their Lord and their God. And looking forward to that day is really easy. It's easy to look forward to the day when you and I think all of our pain and troubles are going to be gone and with us no more. But do you think about yourself on that day very often? It's easy to look up to God and say, God, come and take away all my problems. Was it, is it as easy to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, save me from all of my sinful troubles? You come to the help of those who gladly do right, Isaiah says, who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? Maybe. Maybe God rending the heavens and coming down to take action against his enemies doesn't sound as good as we thought. Not when we're right there every day persisting in our sinful ways. Think about that. You know, Paul says there's not one in this world who does good. Not even one. All of our hearts are inclined to sin all the time. Ever since conception, as David reminds us, we too have become like those who are unclean. We, even our righteous acts, like filthy rags, even our righteous acts, which can be underlined with greed and envy, self-righteousness, the sin that we like that makes us feel good, it's the sins that we hate, that we keep on doing, even though we shouldn't be doing them. It's those sins underlined with that self-righteousness and that greed. The sin that every day, maybe every week, we come and talk against here in church, and yet, as soon as we leave the doors, we don't think about it too often again. Sinful man can't help but persist in sin, and your sin, your iniquity, separates you from God, Isaiah says earlier. Your iniquity separates you from God. He hides his face from sinners and doesn't hear them. And so Isaiah poses a difficult situation. We need your help, God. Come help us sinners, even though I know that you really shouldn't. But Isaiah is calling on that God of grace, free and faithful grace, the God who, for no good reason whatsoever, time and time again, have delivered his people, has promised a remnant, and has promised that from them the Savior would come. Not just the God who's helped his people in the past, but still is faithful today, even against our unfaithfulness and persistence in sin still. 
God promised to deliver his people. God promised to deliver you and me. In the final verses of this morning, Isaiah says, Yet you, Lord, are our fathers. We're the clay, you are the potter, and we are all the work of your hands. Do not be angered beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. But look on us, be grateful. We are all your people. Yet, there's a key word there, yet. As Isaiah pleads to the Lord, he pleads against what he knows ought to be. He pleads against what he knows the Lord ought to do to his people who have sinned and have hardened their hearts against him. He knows that as a potter forms the clay to his liking, though, the Father can shape and form us. He has shaped and formed the Jews to be his people, and he can shape them to be the people he wants them to be as he delivers them, not just from the Babylonians, but more importantly, from their sinful selves. He can form them into a new creation. He would. He wouldn't remember their sins forever. He wouldn't be angry beyond measure, but he would remember his covenant with his people. A covenant of grace and love, promising to send them a Savior. That's the promise that would win out for God's people, for you and for me. He would come to do it, not rending the heavens wide and causing the mountains and the seas to surge and to quake, but he comes in quietness and meekness, born in a stable. In the middle of the night where barely anybody even knows what happened, and nobody would know, save the shepherds being told by the angels as they proclaimed it to them as they were out in the fields at night. As they didn't see it, the Jews at that time didn't see it, but you and I have seen it. It's been reported for us in the gospel, which has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years so that we can know that our God has come to save us and rescue us from our captivity to sin, death, and the devil. Sad, but none of the Jews of Isaiah's day saw it. A lot of those who did see Jesus in their day rejected him and refused him because they were looking for more. They were looking for some, someone to rend the heavens and some power to rid them of their earthly problems and enemies, but forgetting all the while what was more important, what was more dangerous for them than just the Romans at that time. That baby that came that laid in a manger with nothing to make him glorious, they knew was God's power. That baby wrapped up and born to die in weakness would ascend with glory and with all power and dominion. As Israel is that picture of the church and God puts off their enemies, Christ would fight for you and for me against our true enemies. Leading captive death and hell as our hymn said just before this, suffering unnecessary death himself to do it. And so when his father does return on that last day, whenever that day should be, whether it be sooner or later, all we know is he says, I'm coming soon. And we pray, come, Lord, come. When his father does return for that final deliverance, it won't be to punish us. It won't be to make us afraid. It won't be to show us how badly we've messed up. It won't be just to get rid of our troubles here, but it's going to be to take us with him. Where troubles can't exist and where we don't persist in sin anymore, but are 
solidified in our glory, the glory that is won by Jesus Christ. It's too bad, like I said earlier, that Advent kind of gets stuck under the rug with Christmas. Christmas merchandise, as you guys know, has been already out there for a while. Christmas merchandise goes out at what? The beginning of November or sooner? I don't know. So Christmas has been out for a long time. And it seems earlier every year. And the way the world is so overbearing on Christmas, we become more and more lost what the purpose of Advent is. Don't lose the purpose and the meaning and reason of Advent because as we go through Advent and we get closer and closer to that day of our Savior's birth, we become more and more aware of how that quiet night, that night where a baby was just laid in a manger, a night that was almost overlooked in history, how that night was so crucial for you and for me and for the return of our God and Savior that second time. They intersect so well. Because not the first coming, the second coming would do nothing but give us fear and reason to fret. Without the first coming, the rending of the heavens and the might of God, which shakes mountains, would also shake our hearts because of the sin that's in them. So much so that we would join those who in the scriptures are described as calling on the mountains to cover them and hide them because of their fear of the Lord. But Christ. God did come to deliver his people in such humility even so that instead of our sin turning God away from us, he instead turns to us and invites us to our heavenly home. And so with Isaiah we shout, Lord, help us sinners. Help us against our enemies and deliver us. Not finishing with how then shall we be saved, but Instead, Lord, deliver us from our enemies because you have saved us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Where is he? I don't know. I don't know his timetable. He'll come. He said he will. He can't speak and it not happen. But we've seen him come before. So we pray now even, come quickly. Because He's already come to start at that work of our salvation. Come quickly, Lord, we pray, knowing that we don't enter the heavenly kingdom with filthy rags, but with clothes of righteousness, not as shriveling leaves, as Isaiah says, but as trees prospering by streams of water, not hidden from God's face, but standing before God in all his glory. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Then the heavens. Because how exciting will that day be when we see him again? Not, not as a baby to deliver us in death, but as a king of kings. And our Lord and our Savior. Amen.